Welcome to Inside Shopify UX. As always, I'm your host, Lalao Yalayo Pearson, UX Director at Shopify. On today's episode, I speak with Senior Accessibility Specialist Scott Vinkel and Content Designer Shea Perez regarding inclusivity and accessibility. This is a really real talk episode on a topic I am passionate about and something everyone across the tech spectrum can certainly do better. I hope you enjoy. Thank you so, so much for joining me for this amazing episode on accessibility. Um, as always, my name is Lola Yalayo Pearson. I'm Director of UX here at Shopify, working on our money products. And today I'm joined by two amazing guests talking about a subject that is close to my heart, but I certainly wouldn't necessarily grade myself massively highly on. Um, but I do think it's an important conversation for us to have, and that is around accessibility. Um, so I'll maybe hand over and let them introduce themselves and we can get into the conversation. Shay, do you want to go first? Sure. So I'm Shay, Shay Perez. Um, I've been at Shopify for about six and a half years, and I'm a content designer on Shopify email. Amazing. And Scott? Nice. Yeah, I'm uh, Scott Vinkel. I'm an accessibility specialist at Shopify. I've been back at Shopify for just over four years now. And I'm currently situated on the flagship themes team. Did you say back at Shopify, Scott? Are you a um, one of these boomerang folks who left and came back? <laughs> yeah. Yes, exactly. My first uh, first trip through the shop was uh, around 2015. I was on the uh, front end accessibility team. Okay. Sorry, not the front end accessibility team. Front end admin team, rather. Ah, okay. Uh, and that was a thing. It's no longer a thing. <laughs> But, uh, but for reasons, I, I left for a couple of years. I actually joined up with the uh, Simply Accessible team with Derek oh, Featherstone. Nice. And during that time, I learned a ton about web accessibility, digital accessibility. Being yeah. embedded within that community helps me learn uh, a ton. And yeah. um, for one reason or another, I decided to leave and I wanted to figure out what I wanted to do next. And I realized that my time at Shopify was really enjoyable. And I wanted to come back and bring those years of experience with me to be basically the first in-house accessibility consultant that Shopify, Shopify has had. So that was my initial sort of plan. And Four years later, here we are still. <laughs> so let's baseline this conversation before we get into it too far, because much like words like innovation and inclusion, there are many people who talk about this thing called accessibility, but definitions are constantly shifting. So. Maybe let's lead with that. Shay, how would you define accessibility for people who want to know what you're interested in or what you're, you know, what it is that draws you about it? Mm, well, I don't know if I can give a technical definition of accessibility, accessibility, but for me, it's usability, essentially. It's giving access to people, making sure that we have an equitable experience for anybody who wants to use software. Mm -hmm. um, and then inclusion, I think, goes a step further. So there's access and then there's actually like not othering or excluding or tokenizing or using still ableist language, even if you can still use the product. Um, and so I think they go hand in hand, um, but they're different. I absolutely love that distinction. I would argue that's quite a technical framing, but you very useful and easy to understand one. Uh, Scott, what about for you? Yeah, I'd say it's... Uh very accurate, which, which Shay has said. I, I would say that, uh, you know, for me, accessibility means making a product uh, accessible and usable by people with disabilities who rely on, on assistive technology. Uh, but there's a difference between accessibility and, and usability, I think. 
where you can make something that's technically accessible and people can uh, get to it, use it, sort of more or less understand it, but is it actually a good user experience? Mm -hmm. That's sort of the question, right? Yeah. I think that's I... where, where um, usability testing comes into play. Yeah. Is I can work with my team to make something that's technically accessible, but then we host usability sessions to make sure we're actually implementing something that's usable and you know, delightful, whatever the, the case may be, uh, yeah. that they want to come back and use it again and again and share with their friends and family. So this is, this is getting to a really interesting point already, which is, you know, because if you think about it in the last, uh, I don't know, I've been, I've been in UX for a really long time. I feel good about it. I know I look 21. It's fine. Um, I certainly feel like usability is easier now because our consciousness about bad usability is like way higher. The kind of the math and the ROI discussion is you know, immutable, better product with better user experiences, do better in real terms. So everyone's kind of socialized on making things look aesthetically pleasing, readable, making language simpler, making it. But I feel like we've stuttered and started around accessibility. And even though that conversation has been there the whole time, we're still at a point where like accessibility still feels like a harder thing to do than just pure like usability. Would you agree? It's an interesting point about the conversation being there. I might kind of disagree with that. I think uh, I think one of the points that we need to start with uh, with systemizing uh, considerations uh, might be to start by having those conversations. So I think mm -hmm. by, by we're talking about accessibility and disability often, we normalize the conversation and hopefully remove uh, stigmatization. Yes. So people really need to understand more about disability and accessibility. I think first and foremost, it's it's important to use the word in the correct context like we're, yeah. we've been describing here. The yeah. typical general, the context, the meaning is you know to make something available. Whereas the context we're discussing here is to make things work for people with disabilities who rely on assistive technology, right? Mm -hmm. So I think if there's a general understanding of what accessibility is and why it's important, people would react differently, uh, react with an understanding and empathy to the problem rather than indifference or, or pushback. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And I, I think the, the thing that I maybe was saying uh, earlier on is that we've kind of normalized those conversations that allow us to have much more affinity with the idea of usability, but we haven't taken accessibility along in the process. You know, I still, right. you know, it's kind of back in the day, like the, most people are still kind of saying, okay, well, what's the minimum WCAG standard that we can go to? Uh, and, you know, let's just aim for a certification, but they're not really saying, uh, hey, if we just made this small change in the way we designed it, a bunch of extra people would be able to access this. And we're not targeting a kind of sign off on QA. We're actually targeting more usage and more uh, kind of inclusion in lots of ways. Um, and maybe to come to you, Shay, I feel like you did a really great job by releasing something this year that kind of spoke to the simplicity in which the message can be delivered. And you just came out, you released these content guidelines. So tell us a little bit about like why you did that piece of work and maybe some of the reception you've had since it's been out there. Cause it is just wonderfully easy, <laughs> I think, to, to take what <laughs> you put you. out there and use it. Right. So, so talk to us about that. Yeah. 
Well, that's a goal met, um, yeah. and I think that's a content design goal in general, um, so that makes my heart sing to hear. But I think it's kind of interesting, because I was thinking a little differently from the both of you, or maybe like shades of differently when you were just saying the the previous thing. I think in my experience, there's a lot of people who um, usability and accessibility and inclusion, they understand and care at the foundational level, but yeah. I feel like a lot of us, at least when I was starting the project and still to this day, it's like... But how, like the te- almost the technical, yeah. like how do, do I, I do practically now? do it? Yeah. yeah. I think like step zero is like, why is it important? Understanding it, hearing the term. I feel like a lot of us are sort of step one. We're like, we do care, but like, what yeah. now? Um, and so the process of those guidelines was partially like me educating myself mm-hmm. um, and also kind of putting out like that, here's how we can take some steps towards it. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think of where to start. It was like a six-month labor of love, so maybe we can center this. Yeah, let's, I mean, let's, so what did you put out so we can kind of frame that for the audience? What have you actually produced then? Right, so we put together a set of content design guidelines. Uh, so anybody who writes product content specifically, so for us, that's merchant-facing content. Those are the people who use our platform. Uh, these are guidelines for how to avoid racist language, gendered language, or ableist language. And there's sort of two pieces to it. There's what we call the conceptual, like here's what this is and why it's important at a very quick high level. And then it's really tactical and practical. There's word lists, there's terms to avoid, there's alternatives, um, and just ways that hopefully if you're kind of stuck and going like, ooh, I know I shouldn't say blacklist, but like, what should I say instead? Or is that true? Should I say that? You can just quickly do a little command F search and you can find the answer. And and that there was the simplicity bit for me, like realized, because you kind of integrated it almost into the design system fabric that we have at Shopify. And so you would easily find the thing that you needed to be much more inclusive in that moment, as opposed to like feeling alone, which I love. So Scott, tell us about how like, yeah, you're embedded in teams, actually like helping to make small changes happen in the way we build things. So tell us a little bit about how you do that and how it works. Yeah. Um, okay. So I'll, I'll share with you what I've been working with recently for, with my own, uh, with the immediate team I'm on flagship themes. It's a new workflow I'm calling, uh, the inclusive design workflow. It sounds pretty cool. I like that. So, yeah. So we start with the design. So a high level, uh, at the design level, uh, before developer handoff, the designer will actually ping me in Figma first, indicating that their design is ready for review. Mm-hmm. And then I'll go into Figma, uh, the design file, and then I'll use the A11Y annotation kit, in the, which is a Figma community file. And I'll just uh, add notes on things like HTML elements, uh, attributes, states and properties, uh, focus path, the DOM structure, etc. And also catch uh, a few other things, maybe perhaps something like a color contrast issue or other design concerns, such as a custom or a custom focus or hover state. So when I'm done with those annotations, um, I let the designer know that I'm, I'm, I'm all finished and mm-hmm. they will pass the design over to the developer. So they'll start coding. Mm-hmm. And when it comes to the development side, uh, basically the developer would take the Figma file and write code based on the annotations and the notes that I provided. So basically the Figma file actually serves as an accessibility specification for that component. And when the developer feels like the code and UI are ready for testing, they'll ping me back in uh, in their PR on GitHub for, for review. 
So at that point, I'll start testing using a combination of automated and manual testing, uh, including various screen readers on desktop and mobile devices, uh, voice dictation and screen magnific magnification software. And if the component is particularly dynamic or complex, I'll actually also go and set up a usability test session with uh, Shopify partner Fable. So in case you don't know, Fable is actually a, a crowdsourced usability testing platform, which hires people with disabilities. And using their system, I'm able to set up a session with any type of user who uses a specific type of technology that I would like to have tested. Uh, and it's really, it's really awesome. It's very helpful. Yeah. So when I feel the component is in good shape, uh, I'll let the developer know that things are all good and then we'll ship. So the whole point of this workflow is to address accessibility and inclusive design as early as possible. Yeah. By doing so, um, we'll have potentially eliminated a lot of the, uh, the barriers to access before launch, saving the team uh, a ton of time and effort to retrofit accessibility after, uh, mm. and, and it's very expensive, right? So why it's working so well, I, I think, is that everyone on this team, flagship teams, uh, from the designers, the developers, to our leads, uh, they understand why accessibility is important. So they know who I am, why I'm on the team, and they trust my recommendations. Yeah. So right now I'm currently working to scale this model with other teams uh, by hiring more accessibility specialists such as myself. I'm also working on some internal training material based on team specific product areas. So there's a lot going on here. Um, I also see, I also need to figure out, yeah, I also need to figure out how to measure this work and how to come up with a set of deliver, deliverables in terms of what team leads can add yeah. to their roadmaps. Yeah. So basically how we can further scale this model. Do you know what I love about that? And I guess what is ultimately going to become that um, value prop is, is I think linking back to that idea of like how usability just became a thing that we all cared about is the inclusion of um, designers at the earliest possible stage. So like there used to be a time when business requirements doc would be produced and a business analyst, which I used to be, would then write the spec and then a developer would build the spec and then we would do usability testing afterwards. And sometimes a designer would be included beforehand, but often you were kind of just making things work because, you know, that's what you did. And then suddenly that flipped and you were like, well, we'll start with design. And then we kind of did this weird waterfall thing, but eventually we were like, how about we start with design and development kind of around each other with like agile. So people talk to each other more. And I feel like that's how we raise the floor on like usable products being released more as a default. And it sounds to me like you basically started that workflow that will essentially do the same thing for accessibility so at some point the idea of having an eng team or a, like a product team with design content engineering and no accessibility specialist should just feel stupid right it's just like duh why would we do that like of course we need a scott you know that's the ideal state like, i hope that we, we request one i would yeah love how, how can that i have so much i would yeah. like a few but it sounds also like you, with that audit step, like you're catching the types of naive mistakes that your average person would make because they don't have that lived experience of that accessibility. So like something as easy as like changing the way you deliver a focus state could make the difference for an assistant technology. You just wouldn't think about it unless you knew about that technology, right? Right, exactly. I think that's, I think uh, maybe Shay, you mentioned before how we don't really know how to go about this when we understand accessibility what it is and why it's important but how do we actually do it what yeah. do people 
how do people use assistive technology and what do they expect in terms of a usable environment? Yeah. That's sort of hopefully what I'm going to get to in terms of <laughs> my training. I'm, I'm working with a few other folks at Shopify and to build out training modules, uh, for example, for, for onboarding. And then also, like I said, for training geared towards specific product areas, mm -hmm. um, to try and share basically at a high level, this is the expectation and this is how you test. Mm-hmm and hopefully it'll be, it'll be good. You know, we don't expect people to be expert experts right away or anything yeah. like that. I, I think it's more the idea to start the conversation, build awareness, and then if they have more questions, where do they go from there? Yeah, that is labor that I think is unfortunate that people with sort of different abilities have just gotten used to doing on behalf of tech, right? Is that they are, you know, bug, uh, catchers, they're like QA folks, they're, they're on the receiving end of the shittier experience and then having to help us all try and make a better product. And ideally that should just never be the case, you know, you know, would we, would we be able to constantly be on top of every new assistive technology in an ideal world? Yes, but probably practically no, but certainly not making tons of obvious mistakes over and over again. Like that just is the kind of thing that has to go away, you know? So coming back to this idea of how to actually measure um, an organization, how it's doing, um, there's a framework that's called the uh, accessibility maturity model. And there's a few of them out there. Uh, Shopify partner level access has created one that they have. Uh, Microsoft has their own, which measure, measures their own internal progress. I like the idea of this one here. It's very simplified. So uh, level one is called initiating. Mm -hmm. uh, so you're at this level if you're starting the conversation within your organization about the importance of accessibility. Mm -hmm. So if you're working on, on accessibility, what's very ad hoc, it's very volunteer based and not really well documented, uh, you're at this initiating level. Yeah. Uh, level two is called establishing. So you're at this level, if your company is committed to accessibility, either via public statement or a policy page, which Shopify does have, yeah. but you're still getting started with putting the practices in place and, and processes for, for these workflows. Mm -hmm. So this may include things like individual contributors with some experience with adding accessibility to their workflows, which we have a, a lot of, a lot of folks yeah. who do this, yeah. um, or someone taking the time to create an actual inclusive workflow for a team or establishing training, such as uh, what I'm doing. And then level three is called scaling. This is the top level. And you're basically at this level if you have established processes and practices in place for digital accessibility. So you're working to scale these processes to other areas of the organization. Uh, and this level is really about leveling up, um, sharing widely and making the practices repeatable in other spaces across the org. Well, I'm just thinking that like you've talked a lot about how do we measure it? And to me, it's like, how do we measure anything we do in UX. Like we talk a lot about quality bars. We talk about beautiful designs and a lot of standards. Accessibility is that to me. It's part and parcel yeah. of it. There can't be a beautiful, usable, um, exciting, gorgeous product experience or a good user experience without accessibility and inclusion. Yeah. Well, the, the accessibility in itself is a, is a form of the quality bar. So like you can't, yeah, I, I completely agree with that. I completely agree with that. And I, I think it's, yeah. Go ahead, I was going to say that there's a big myth out there that people think you can't have a beautiful design and not have no. accessibility at yeah. the same time. Completely untrue. Yeah. We are throwing that out the window every day 
on the flagship themes team. These themes are looking gorgeous. And by the way, they're also very highly accessible. Yeah. Well, it's, and it's also like one of the things about the tech getting better in general, right? So does anybody miss a million and one hover states and tool tips when they moved around the internet? No, because like basically good content was buried under like something that you couldn't see and, and tell that you could click on. So like getting rid of that shit to me was a massive improvement for everybody's user experience of the web, because suddenly now we have like things that are actual touch uh, targets and so you can click and so things that don't have this impermanence and you're not like doing like mouse dancing all over the place but I do think the idea of setting the bar at accessibility and kind of combining that with having a Scott we're going to call it having a Scott let's let's start that sh campaign Shay and we'll go around internally and we'll be like okay who's up for having a Scott we're going to create a Scott thing around the world but like I feel like that combination is the combination that's going to get us there because at some point you need an expert who's going to be able to say hey here's the thing and this is also why like we don't ask engineers to design things anymore because we need actual product designers um, and at the same time you want to socialize the baseline of what good is and so you want the maximum number of people to be thinking about that essentially and everybody to be sort of pushing upwards from there um, so yeah, so what would you, I mean, what would, what would maybe projecting into the future then, like what is that ideal state that you could imagine where accessibility was a thing that just was a natural and organic part of the work as opposed to a initiative or a campaign or like something that you've got to pump people up about? What does that start to look and feel like for you? Well, exactly. I, I think that is the ideal state is that I, as a, an accessibility specialist, am not needed at Shopify because our designers and developers, our content writers have all this knowledge as part of their workflow and they just do it by default. See, I love that, but I disagree with one part of it, which is that we wouldn't need a Scott, right? Because I think... <laughs> Well, so it's it's the same thing. I think about this as it maybe relates to a bunch of other specialist craft areas, right? Like I don't really believe in unicorns. And I think like tooling gets better and people's um, range expands and we can all do a little bit more of more stuff. But if you really care about something, sometimes you need somebody whose job it is to really optimize for that thing. And I think there's always a danger. It's like when a thing becomes everybody's job, it becomes nobody's job. And mm -hmm. maybe that's part of the challenge, right? We kind of, there was a point in time, I think 10 years ago when everyone was hot on accessibility and then it immediately went to this everybody's job point. And actually what that did was it desensitized us to the topics and, and then we kind of forgot about it again. And now here we are trying to restart that conversation again and say like, do you know what I mean? So I'm kind of like, mm, I don't know if it's everybody's job for a long time, if ever, you know, to just try and maintain that. I think that is accurate how it is decentralized when it becomes everyone's job, but I don't know. It's tough because in a way it is everyone's job but at the same time, it is so expansive. Accessibility is so big exactly. that to be embedded in this community and to keep up with the technology and to know all the little tiny nuance that I'm experiencing as I read the blogs, as I go to community events, when I attend conferences it is a full-time job to keep up with this industry in itself. Absolutely. Definitely. But I think that there's always room for 
having a Scott on the team. So there's somebody who's always going to the conferences, who's kind of like leading the charge and owning it, but it's still part of everyone's job. Similar to like knowledge management. I can spin up like an internal document that shares the knowledge that I have, but there's still always going to be that knowledge management expert who's going to help me. Where should it live and how should I socialize it? And like, what's the best way to do it and can answer my questions? Yeah. Yeah. I think, and, and maybe does that align with your worldview of what like good looks like, Shay? Like, Yeah, definitely. I think that a lot of the issue, I come back to like the intentionality and the care is often there. Like we see mm. it, like I know for myself, I can speak for myself only. Um, if you had like job stories and you broke it down, it's like, I want to do X, but I don't know what the next step is. Where do mm. I look? What should I be doing? Mm. I've started using things like the accessibility annotation kit, but like my confidence is low because I don't know which parts yeah. of the kit always to be using. So I think having that knowledge captured and shared and readily available. So if it's mm. the early stages of a project and myself as an IC and UX, I can just go to the right place and know, ooh, I'm at the stage where I should be doing X, Y. When mm-hmm. it comes to whatever part of the project process, I should know, ooh, let me get into Fable because my project meets you know, certain reasons that I should be testing it. Yeah, I think that's that really aligns with my worldview as well because we're already... that's already a natural thing that we do in other domains. So like thinking about in my world, we build money products. You can't design a thing without considering the regulation. Do I know the legals of all of that inside out and every single clause? No, but I do have a legal team I can speak to. Um, You know, we do have that concept of democratized responsibility, but like owned expertise. Like that is the, the thing that we have. And I think I, I'm quite excited about that, even as an individual who just wants to learn. It's like building on what you said, Shay. It's like, I care about it, but I don't know how to go on a learning journey. Like teaching myself is one thing, but there's got to be a limitation to that at some point. It's like I'm probably more dangerous than not unless I have a guide, somebody who can steer me and I can actually validate and vet that learning journey, you know? That's the thing I'm excited about, getting to that point where we're kind of much more evenly socialized we've activated all the people who care but we're also tapping into like layers of expertise so like everything else the quality bar goes up the floor goes up about the minimum accessible standard and then the quality bar gets held higher about well what is that other level that we could go to that would be valuable for the widest merchant population that we can support you know that's holy grail scenario and then we'd be like level three and above level three plus plus on your maturity model. <laughs> I'm talking a lot to uh, uh, directors and, and VPs recently these days, which is really great. Mm-hmm. You know, over the years past, I've always sort of kept to myself and done the work and, you know, sort of quote unquote shielded people away from all these, these problems. But I've kind of realized this is, that is totally the wrong thing to do. I, I have to be very loud. <laughs> shout, shout from the rooftops in the mountains. Yeah. Yeah. Bring the light in. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Um, Shay, Scott, you guys have been amazing. Uh, But before we kind of close out the episode, we have one final thing. Our wonderful seasons gimmick, our cootie catcher slash fortune teller slash chatterbox. So you've got four options, the banana, the cart, the lettuce and the rocket. Um, And Shay, if you go first, you can pick one and I'll do the rest. Definitely the banana. The banana. Okay, let's go. B-A-N-A-N-A. At some point, I'm going to realize I can't spell banana with all of this. So you've got (laughs) five, six, one, and two. Which number would you like? Five. Okay. 
one, two, three, four, five. And then you've got uh, four, seven, three, and eight. And one of these will have your question behind it. Ooh, okay, let's do eight. Eight. Question eight is, if I can figure out how to get it. Okay, what app, service, or product do you wish that you had worked on? Ooh, okay, well, don't hate me for mentioning COVID because uh, I know we're all getting a bit sick of it. This but is if a I thing in our generation. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. But like both the service design and the content design, I would just want to do all of it by note myself now. Um, but vaccine rollout, especially, I actually think access yeah. and accessibility tied in so much there. And I got really lucky with some of my family members that I had flown home on a trip right when yeah. they were rolling out certain aspects of it. And I was like at everyone's houses trying to get them booked appointments, getting rides organized and all of these things. And I just saw like all of the different pinch points. And also when I go into the VaxiCode app, which is ours here, and I see some of the confusing or like, let's say there's room for improvement around the language being used, yeah. uh, just burns me and I really would love to solve that problem. Well, isn't that such a great example also of a product where the minimum viable version of it was like massively accessible by default because the populations that needed it the most also needed to be the people who had like mobility issues compromised immune systems probably other conditions that were you know and they were trying to access the service and it's such a great example of where accessible by default isn't like a thing you aim for it's the minimum thing you hit if you're actually doing this right Saying that, I know that there were a lot of um, grassroots efforts and lots of like social groups that created versions on top of the rollouts here in Canada and kind of had like, you know, much more accessible local versions of things. In fact, I know one of them was using Polaris because it was easy for them to spin up using the design system initially here in Ontario, at least, which was uh, amazing. But yeah, I'm I'm kind of with you there. If if only we could have galvanized even more around that, that would have been amazing. Um, okay, Scott. Uh, next one's yours to pick. Okay. Uh, let's go with the rocket. Rocket. Okay. Nice. R-O-C-K-E-T. One, two, five, and six. One. One. And then you've got, no one's done that yet. Four, three, seven, and eight. And Shay's just had eight. So probably four, three, or seven. Okay. Uh, seven. Seven. Okay. Seven is... What is your process for starting a new thing? So the sort of the first day you get a new project or brief or piece of thing you need to do, how do you get started? Well, I'd probably go to the Slack channel and introduce myself, say, hey, what's up? I'm here to probably work on the accessibility of your thing, yeah. which I've done many times in the past. So just get comfortable with the team, let them know why I'm there and start the process from there more you know it's a funny story that one of the first projects that i was on was the checkout accessibility way back in 2018 mm -hmm. and uh, i introduced myself rather abruptly in that slack channel because i actually got i got a piece of feedback from one of our like 360 peer review type yeah. things where it said like scott was a little aggressive <laughs> when he came in to our channel to start this project but the good thing was that that team was already um, on their way to starting an audit project for, for, for checkout. So the timing actually worked out. But yeah, that's, that's probably how I would start things and just hopefully hope for the best. <laughs> 
Did you go in and just were like, you're all rubbish. I'm here to fix you. My name's <laughs> Scott. Let me into your dev environment or you're going to have um, it. Like, was it that level of aggression or was it? <laughs> kind of, a little okay. bit. Because you know why? My, my, first, uh, my first time here at Shopify, uh, at one point in time, I was a developer, front of developer, I, and I shipped a piece of code that I don't know why still to this day, I don't understand. I broke the ability to upload uh, images to admin. So that was a really bad day, first of all. But the the team that I was on was really great. They were really supportive. They were like, oh, don't worry about it. It's okay. Everyone breaks something once in a while. But then someone, someone told me, I'll never forget this. They said, as long as you don't break checkout, it's fine. Yeah. And I've, I've always had that with my mind. Yeah. And why, uh, why I was so aggressive with the checkout team when I came back was that I was thinking that like checkout for Shopify mm. is everything. If it doesn't work, yeah. then, then what are we doing? That is Specifically money out of merchant exactly. yeah. yeah. And it's such a great way to close off this episode. Like I think ultimately the, the lens we apply to this is exactly the same lens as our mission, which is making commerce better for everyone. Everyone means the widest set of people and like making sure we apply that lens to the broadest group because entrepreneurship shouldn't have a predefined ability set other than, you know, your own smarts. Um, and so I'm super grateful that we've been able to have this conversation. Shay, Scott, this has been absolutely awesome. We will stick your socials on here. And Scott, you said you were hiring. So potentially a bunch of people can come at you and just be like, hey, I want to be your specialist guy or gal or person. Um, and Shay, thank you so much. We will link to your um, amazing uh, inclusive guidelines uh, document that is out in the world for everybody to benefit from. So thank you so much for being on this episode. Thank you, Lola, for having us. Yeah, this is awesome. Thanks so much for setting us up. Thanks for listening to Inside Shopify UX. Check out more from our team or find out how to join us by visiting ux.shopify.com. Inside Shopify UX is hosted by me, Lalao Yalayo Pearson. Produced by Jen Shaw. Assisted by Isabel Hamilcarassi. Edited by Michael Busser. With art and graphics by Alicia Giroux. Danny Chavez-Ackerman. And Trevor Slovani. Music by Silent Quiet Spaces. On the next episode of Inside Shopify UX, Leading at Scale. How do you lead a design team of hundreds? Tune in next week.